Blog Talk Radio. that talks a lot about uh, unusual topics, topics that you don't normally hear in the news. Uh, we usually look at things from a standpoint of uh, interpersonal relationships, violence against women, uh, women's issues, which, you know, I, I, I frequently say this, but, you know, my daughter always says, there are no such things as women's issues, mothers. There's just human being issues for which I am so pleased that I raised such an idealist, but we all know that some issues are of more import and more interest to women. Uh, at least women tend to, to go toward them more than men. Um, and uh, we, we we try and tackle those topics. And uh, my name is Heather Stark. I'm your host, and I... Um, struggle along here, and I just try to have a platform for some of our experts to talk about what they have knowledge in. And today we have a language expert. You know, I hearken back to the day when, you know, if you wanted people to change it from fireman to firefighter, you were considered some sort of wild radical, you know, with a crosshair somewhere. Um, But the fact is that language does play an important part in who we are and what we are and our expectations in life. And today we have someone with us who knows this much better than I do. Our expert today is, um, well, let's see, I'm I'm looking here, Rosalie, for your last name, Maggio, Rosalie Maggio. And uh, welcome, Rosalie. Thank you for joining us today. Well, I'm excited to be here. I love talking about language because it's fun and it's something we all use every day. Yes, it's true. It's It's very close to all of us. Well, Rosalie, let me just give give you a little bit of an introduction here for our listeners. Um, she's actually an award-winning author, and she's written more than 20 books, and having written one book and knowing the struggle that that took to birth, I'm envious, Rosalie, that you've done done this 20 times. And uh, one of her books is a huge bestseller, sold over 2 million copies, and it's called How to Say It, a French-language biography. Uh, she also wrote a French-language biography of uh, a, a daredevil, a female daredevil. She's written some children bo- children's books. And she's also written books on biased language, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today, as well as um, her latest book, which is called Unspinning the Spin, The Women's Media Guide to Fair and Accurate Language, and that's put out by McGraw-Hill, and we'll let you do a better plug on that later in the show, uh, Rosalie. Um, Language fascinates me as well. I mean, it's how we communicate, and um, I used to actually teach communication and history of communications at college level out here in, in Washington, and my explanation to students for why we cared about things like proper language or punctuation or, um, you know, spelling even, was that the whole purpose of communicating was I have something in my head, and I want to get that as closely as possible to what's in my head into your head. And the methods by which I have to do that are communication, you know, either visual or, or language or, you know, and, and so anything that interferes with that message, whether it's a jackhammer in the parking lot or it's a word misspelled or language that's, you know, misconstrued, all of that interferes with that, that conveyance of that message. Um, and so I'm a, I'm a stickler. I like the, the idea that we have some rules for our language, for punctuation, for spelling, for, you know, I'm, I, I like that we still use whom and that they haven't gotten rid of it yet. So am I just an old poop, Rosalie? No. I think what it all comes <laughs> down to, I don't want to call you an old poop on the radio. No, no. I, you can do that. You know what it, it's okay. But, I've well, been called worse. Come on. <laughs> no, you can call yourself anything you like. That's my rule, <laughs> and I'll call you. Whatever. No, you know what I think it's about, though? Well, first of all, I, I kind of reject. I think it was very nice of you but uh, to call me an expert. I feel like language belongs to all of us, and we there aren't laws. People, and, and the reason this is it's a very self-serving thing to say, but I don't want to set it up as though I'm telling anyone what to say. I think it's about choice. If you want to use mankind, nobody is going to stop you. Um, if you want to use a word that includes everybody that sounds, you know, 
better. That's your choice. So I think a lot of it's about choice. So if you choose to use whom, if you choose to pick your words the way you want them, that's your choice, and you will be a more successful communicator. It depends on your goal. Now, if you don't want to, I, I was on the radio once, and a, a guy said to me, he said, I'm a, I want to call you a dame. And I said, fine, you, <laughs> you can do that. I have to tell you I don't like it. Okay, well, you said your piece, I said my piece. You know, So it's about, I think it's about choice, and some people are choosing to use, well, remember the silly thing about the infinitive, uh, never mind, to get into arcane things. Split infinitive. There, split infinitive. Split infinitive. i got to tell yeah. you, I've, I've taught English to students, and I still have to look up split infinitive every time I get to that part. <laughs> well, it's kind of ridiculous, actually, and it doesn't. And when you look up, when you, okay, here's my thing. Two people say, well, you know, if you look it up, this and that and the other thing. The point is people aren't looking it up. People are using it. So I don't go so much by the etymology of a word, like back in, for example, example, there's a good word that it was very troublesome a few years ago. It was niggardly. Um, people oh, are saying, yeah. well, but it sounds, it, you know, you look it up in the dictionary, it just means very stingily and so on. I don't care what the dictionary mm-hmm. says. If when I hear that word, I kind of go, uh, you know, that's different. So I care more about function of word, how, how they're heard. You were talking earlier about your about communicating. It's not only important to know what's in your head and try to choose the exact right word that will convey your meaning, but it's kind of important to know how that's going to be received. And you say, well, how can I know that? Well, you look into it. It's not that hard. You know, when people get fussed about language, I think about the sports teams who have changed locales and names and nobody oh, is yeah. confused. Nobody's saying, "Oh my God, how am I supposed to remember who's who and who's playing who?" And, you know, I just I can't keep track. <laughs> of course, they can keep track. Wait a minute, it's not Angeles, who's? <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, so you can do it when you want to, and that's the problem. So, so people. So I think it's about getting other people's realities, and in order to get them, you have to listen to other people say, "Redskins makes." me feel dreadful it brings up pictures that i don't want to you know i don't understand you using a word like redskins when there are many of us who say that hurts you know well never mind we can go in and defending it or not but well not no there's no not for me everything every argument does not really have two sides for me sometimes so so when people say red, you know, so we have to listen to what people's realities are. We don't have their realities. That's the whole point. A woman said to me once, Rosalie, you don't have to walk in my black shoes, but I would like you to listen to me when I tell you things. You know, just just listen. Yes. So we may not get it with our gut. I had an editor once when I was working. I work. This is my fourth book on biased language. I started back in 87 with um, the non-sexist word finder, and I started with sexist words, which were big. And then I realized, Mm -hmm. oh, wait a minute. People also use words that are, you know, hurt other people or that are incorrect. I prefer to say incorrect. Hurt is a choice as far as I'm concerned. If you say something, I get to choose whether I'm going to be hurt or not. So I don't like to talk about you know, words that are disparaging. I like to talk about whether they're accurate or not. And by accurate, I mean, am I saying what you're hearing? Are you hearing what I'm saying? That kind of accuracy. Okay, so anyway, then we went to the bias-free word finder, and then I did talking about people because it was all about people. When we talk about people, what do we do? And we'll get to this later, but PC makes me nuts, political correctness. Robin Morgan said once, it's just plain courtesy. And I like oh. that. I think getting other people's realities and responding to them is plain courtesy. Again, back to my first point, it's a choice. You don't have to be courteous. A lot of people aren't. You don't have to use words that make sense to other people or that honor other people's reality. You don't have to. But where I come in and people like me, we're not experts, but we're saying, like, my books are all like this. You look up mankind and you find uh, a little explanation about why it doesn't really mean what it looks like and then you have about 30 alternatives and the reason I started this because I was an editor and I would get an order from the publisher saying Rosalie could you clean this up and by clean it up they meant get rid of the sexist language and I got so tired of reinventing the wheel and I thought somebody ought to write a book about it so I could just look up mankind and find 
a whole bunch of um, synonyms for it. And sure. the thing is, you don't just you don't want humankind. I mean, I don't. I like language, and I, humankind to me uh, it clunks. Okay, I, I don't know how else to say it, but it's just clunky. But so um, you could have you could have words like oh, humanity, uh, people, human beings, human society, nature, species, creatures, the human race, the human family, civilization. It depends on what you're talking about. You could even use anyone or souls or all of us or early peoples or nation. I think I must have about 50. But the thing is what you want to do is find the exact words because mankind is is sloppy. Mankind what? What are you talking about exactly? You know. So maybe you mean taxpayers. Maybe you mean uh, the larger community. Maybe you mean participants. I don't know. Earthlings. Mm-hmm. See? So not all of those are good, but one of them in there will probably do better for you than mankind. So it's about choice. And that's, so I'm not an expert. I'm not telling you what to say, but I'm saying, if you have a problem with a word, let me help you. We'll talk about it, and we'll give you some alternatives. Just a real brief explanation of, like, well, domestic violence, if we can go there for a second. That's interesting because domestic sounds so cozy. And mm-hmm. it has actually um, made it sound like, oh, let's see, where's domestic violence? I just got to find it. Oh, just a second here. I just wanted to read it because it was a good quote. Um, this woman says in Ms., you know, it sounds like you're just talking about it doesn't sound as bad as violence domestic violence yes. is smaller it makes the violence sound domesticated and it makes it sound like a special category of violence that is somehow different from other kinds less serious and jones wrote that in in uh, and i don't know what to do about it uh, except that i would advise people that when they're writing an article you could use that term once to orient people because it's the term you know, domestic abuse or domestic violence. But really, after that, you've got to say what you're talking about. It's battering. It's And you must say whether it's men or women. We need to know. When you say domestic abuse, we don't know who's doing what to whom. And we need to know those things. We need to know exactly what's being done. And we need to put it up there with violence in general. And there are a lot of people that think... They think that almost everything in society comes right out of the family. You know, you, when you accept that kind of val, you know, violence at one level, they even think there's a, a belief about childism, saying that the way we treat children gives rise to all the other isms, racism, sexism, heterosexism, uh, anti-Semitism, everything. Because children are, and I don't mean you, you're not parents to your children, but there's a certain lack of respect for children, respecting them at where they are, that they grow up being second-class citizens. And um, oh, Angela Grimke said one time, for some people, all they know is someone's foot on my neck or my foot on someone's neck. And that kind of thing, when kids are not respected, not given, you know, except if their feelings being acceptable and so on and so forth, to say nothing of abuse, emotional abuse in the family or of children and so on, they grow up um, thinking this is a pattern of either someone's over you or you're over someone. And anyway, I'm just saying it's a theory and I don't know, you know, but I just suggest it to say that families are the start of a lot of things and we know that, you know that, yeah. Yeah. but but yeah, domestic exactly. violence, we need um, a better term. Well, in fact, uh, most places now that uh, a lot of people still use domestic violence. I do because uh-huh. people are familiar with the term. And they know yes. that this is what the topic's going to be. But uh-huh. in fact, um, and most of the, the scholarly work, it's being referred to as interpersonal violence (IPV), um, which brings it more to a personal. Uh, this is personal violence. This isn't, isn't yes. stranger it's violence. Stranger violence. Yeah. 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 That's and so it's good. a much more. Whether I, yeah, I try a, to look at things to see if they're going to catch on, and I don't know that's a little academic to catch on, but but that's a step in the right direction because it it identifies it precisely, um, mm-hmm. and it just you know I think well for example you know we we in language we talk about person first, so you don't call someone a quadriplegic, you say someone with 
quadriplegia because otherwise that part of the person um, becomes the whole thing. You don't say a cancer patient. You know, we don't even have a word that says a person with cancer. You know, one, but it's someone with living with cancer or living with AIDS or living with multiple sclerosis. And in the same way, violence ought to come first. It, it's first about violence. I wish there were a way to put it, you know, violence in the family. I mean, that's more awkward, but, or violence between people, between people or something. I don't know, but the violence ought to come first because that's what's key. And we can't, you know, make it sound any, like a subset of violence. It is violence. It's as bad as it gets. So. Yeah, good, good points there. Um, I want to toss out our phone number. If you are a, a, a person who cares about language and words and, and words instruction, uh, give us a call. Join us in our conversation, 646-378-0430. That's 646-378-0430. Join our conversation. Let us know if you think that we're just a bunch of old uh, old maid school teachers, which is what I was referred to once, <laughs> for caring that much about language. Um, and punctuation. I'm a punctuation person, too. What can I tell you? You know, it drives oh. me nuts when I see all these these um, uh, articles. I mean, from, you know, New York Times, for example, you know, ending a quote with a comma outside the quotation mark. Oh, oh, I mean, come oh. on. That's just yeah. wrong. <laughs> I know it. I know. We don't have, well, the thing is, we've lost that layer of editors. Um, it's been a choice to let them go. And I turn my books in almost directly to the printer anymore. I mean, I don't go through it. Yeah. You know, it's it's sad. And I love a good editor. I need and want yes. good editors. And there are still a few, but it isn't what it was 20 years ago when you had these people like you looking at books and making sure that nothing <laughs> the got Nazis, in. The language Nazis, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, well, you know, it is, it's funny, but language, what I like, people say, well, what good is language? You know, they're more serious issues, and they're absolutely right. But here's what I think. Language, the language we use, it shapes and reflects society. So we're not going to change society or, this, you know, there's not going to be any social change because of language, but you can't have social change without it. And I'm just thinking of um, words like sexual harassment, a phrase like that. We didn't even have that in the language. How can you fight something that you don't have a term for? And so, and I'm, and well, like I fight things like, not fight, but try to, okay, the president, he, so far, all our presidents have been he. But every time you write in a book, the president, he, now, I mean, not when you're talking about a specific president, but when you're saying, you know, the president must always affix his signature to any, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, when a president puts his signature to a veto, he blah, blah. Every time you do that, we got a picture in our mind again that the president is a he. And it doesn't sound right if you say the president she. So mm -hmm. this is where... True. And it sounds awkward yeah. if you say the president, he or she, you know. Yes, no. Um, no, it, it, I don't it like that. Awkward. Yeah. So what I tell my students yeah. is make everything plural. Yeah, same here. Presidents exactly. must affix their signature to, you know, and exactly. then you can avoid the... It's so simple. Yeah, and yes, no, Heather, that's ex that's exactly right. It, I don't. The reason I got into this, too, is because I do like language, like you. And, for example, spokesperson. Boy, talk about clunk. I think that is one of the yeah. un <laughs> and not only that, but you got your spokesman and your spokesperson, and guess who's the woman? And it's so yes, obvious. Exactly, like exactly. A, you know, or chairperson. Chairperson. Chair oh, that's my least favorite word, because you know uh, that's the woman. The guys that. You, by the way, just for your audience, I just love this. People do not get chairperson, and I've got people saying things like, "Oh my God, what if they? You know, I don't want to be confused with a piece of furniture." And this is all part of that ridiculousms <laughs> that they throw at language. People saying, "Well, that's just ridiculous." We talk about the head of a committee, and no one is outraged at the thought of a bloody, bodiless head sitting in a chair. You know, no, we do that. That's called. Oh, you probably know. Met. Shoot, there's a fancy word for that when you use the, a part of a thing for the whole thing. Um, anyway, yeah. never mind. I will never, and we don't care what it, the word is, but that's what. <laughs> but so chair, nobody's confused. Nobody in the history of the world has confused a chair with a piece of furniture when you yeah. say that the chair spoke, you know. Um, 
Also, but what I want to point out is chair was the first word in the language. It is in the Oxford English Dictionary way before chairman and chairwoman. So when people talk about, oh, changing the language, well, how about changing it back? How about... How about going back? And I'm not going to do that because that's ridiculous to send someone to the dictionary every time you want to. But I think chair is so tidy, so neat, so comprehensive. I don't understand the problem with it, but I just had to Well, and it's like officiate. You don't have an officiant man. You have uh, an officiate. Yes. Does that make sense? Exactly. You have someone so who why officiates. are we attacking? Oh, you know, the great one that I just love is fisherman. You know, fishermen and, and people get so um, excited about, you know, using fisher or something. But the thing is... Yeah, that sounds awkward to me, though, i got to say. And you know what? The dictionary is using it. Yep. Um, the thing is, like, for example, in the Bible, it says uh, something about fishers of men. Okay, fine, men, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But they're using that, fishers of men. The thing is, I did a little search for... Um, yeah, but that's used as a verb, not as a noun. No, fishers of men is... Fisher? It, it's a noun. Fisher of men. Yeah, 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 you're right, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But anyway, the thing is, I went through and I looked up all the words, the ER words, and they are camper, hiker, runner, jogger, speaker, um you go on and on, and, I mean, the outdoor things, um, climber, what else, skier, uh, boater, canoeer. You can go, I had quite a list of those. They're all ER, and then suddenly we go, oh, fishermen, uh, hello. And yeah. so people are using fishers. I know it's it's awkward. George Crabb once said, um, it must be, uh, no, how's it going? Oh, just one second, because it's so good. Why can I never remember these things? That's why I work at my desk, because he said, habit with him was all the test of truth. It must be right. I've done it from my youth. So see, (laughs) we get used to these things, and it doesn't, Fisher doesn't sound right to us, but hello. Why aren't we saying hiker man and, you know, canoeer man, and we don't. And it's just a little... And, well, they used and to have milk, uh, milk delivery man or milk man, um, yep. you know, yep. um, and it well, wouldn't all, be appropriate yeah. to say milker. <laughs> no, it wouldn't because that's not what he does. But but milk yeah. carrier or milk deliverer or, yeah. you know, and, and yes, it's a tiny bit awkward, but could we, you know, we have changes. The language is in constant. By the way, firefighter that you mentioned earlier, that came into yes. the language in 1902 before Fireman did, you know that was our. And to me, firefighter is a punchy word. It tells what the person, like a fireman, could be a train engineer. You know, someone who works on a train or something. It's a very imprecise word, fireman. But yeah. when when it was fireman, and I I think I told you we were talking the other day, but that there was a study in Toronto with little kindergartners, and they asked him, please draw us a picture of a a policeman, a fireman, and a mailman. And of course, they were all men, because of course. You don't even think anything else when someone tells you to draw a fireman. I mean, you'd be, you'd have to be pretty creative to go outside that box. And so, yes, yeah. And well, I was thinking well, about language. Yeah. Um, we have a caller, so why don't we go oh, and see oh, let's go. what contribution our caller? Notice I didn't say call woman. Hi, are you there? <laughs> yes, this is Greg calling from Nashville, Tennessee. Oh. Oh, good, Greg. Well, see, it's a good thing I didn't say call woman. It's a call man. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank this, you for joining us. What, yeah. what What is it about language that gets you? Well, uh, first of all, um, listening to this show is a breath of fresh air. Um, most people don't have these conversations, and um, you had mentioned earlier people calling you something like an old school marm or whatever. There's a place for that. Yes. <laughs> Um, and the funny thing is, this is what you made me realize while I was listening for these, you know, ten or fifteen minutes. My wife was an English; um, that was her minor in high in uh, in college. She went to college in Michigan, and and this is what I want. I just want to share a, per, a quick personal story. I was in radio, regular old school radio, back when it was in an actual radio station with a tower transmitting the signal in the late nineties mm-hmm. down in the Mississippi Delta, and this was before the internet was. Really, really popular. I mean, it was sort of gaining kind of a, a groundswell, but it wasn't really major. 
And I used to work late in at the radio station doing what it is that I did, you know, at the at, for this company that I worked for. And this coworker of mine introduced me to a thing called the chat room, and I'm like, "What is that?" And he told me, and I, said, okay, I gotta go check it out, right? So I'm bored, and I'm doing my stuff with radio, and most of it's pre-recorded, and you're just sort of monitoring equipment. Sure. So I find this chat room, and I get, I'm like, "This is pretty cool. It's kind of like a little meeting place." And I bump into who would become my future wife. And now there was, this is the reason why I'm sharing this story. The only thing I had, there was no video. This was pre-Skype. This was pre-cell phone with, with all of this technology. This is the only thing that I had to meet this person, have a conversation, and ultimately when it started to turn romantic was to try to win her over, was the power of the English language, the power of the word. I had to be articulate. Uh. Now, if I'd have just been you know, sloppy, whatever, and she was an English yeah. mind, I didn't know that when I first met her. And I mean, can you even imagine if, if you were like 20 or 15 right now, the only way you could actually meet someone, I'm not trying to make the show about romanticism or anything, is your command of the English language and your ability to express yourself with words. You better get it right. I mean, Oh, I'm sorry. Today's you, young people have so many emoticons, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you need the language if you have emoticons? It, Come on. Great story, though, and you are still yeah. articulate. You could have been one of those, you know, sloppy-speaking people by now if you hadn't married her, you know? Uh, you know, here's yes, the thing. Perhaps. Here's the thing. My wife is 17 years older than I am. She's going to retire in less than a month. And here's the funny thing. All the way back, I'm only 45 years old. My favorite subject of all time in English was always English. Diagramming sentences was, to me, fascinating. I've yes. always been a reader. Oh, Literally, wonderful. Like, like yes. kindergarten, first grade, I've always been a reader. And here's the thing. We all know this. When you have a conversation with someone, let's just say you say, I'm not real street smart. Maybe you know someone that is street smart. And, and you listen to the way they talk. Their command of the English language tells you a lot about who they are. And, oh, and if they're really, really smart, they're going to listen to the way you talk, and they're going to size you up and decide what it is that they can and can't do, can and can't – whatever the case may be. And I think it, 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 it spans culture, religion, gender. It doesn't really matter. What we say, the way that we say it and how good we are at saying it, even if it's – sort of a surface judgment from people, which is just part of the human experience, I think. I mean, we look out into the world, we take in data, and we have to make a quick assessment based on when we weren't quite so comfortable in all of the things that we have and that we do, and we had to make a split-second decision based on what we saw and heard as to what we were going to do next. And that's still inside of us at a deep level, whether it's DNA or subconscious or whatever, but the thing is, you know, I can switch. You know, people say, "Well, if you're not really your true self when you're with a particular group of people, then you're 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 denying who you really are." I used to really, really go heavy in that, but let's just think about it. Let's say I'm in a group of people, and it's not a thing where I'm trying to manipulate or or I bumped into them or whatever. You don't try to be them. You just simply adjust what you're saying slightly. So that there's a better chance that what you're communicating will be received yeah. by those people that you're with. Bingo. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, of course. Bingo. Yeah. I think that component of the, the the openness to receive that message is such an important part of conveying that message. If you right. come to me, and I don't care how good your vocabulary is, I don't care, um, you know, I, if if you are chewing gum and you don't are, don't articulate well. I'm not going to pay that much attention to your message because you're driving me nuts. Yes. So My you wife. could have the best, you know, you could have the best message in the world, but it's not going to get to me successfully because of these, um, you know, answer the the the, uh, the 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 frills around the, the the language itself. The frills around the message are obscuring that message and and basically turning me off. You know, I. I work with a lot of students, and one of the things that I tell them is incre increase your vocabulary. You can do so much. You can handle bullies. You can tell people off. You can do all sorts of things in a wonderful, wonderful way that doesn't offend anyone. I mean, one of my favorite things is to call someone Pexnifian. <laughs> they don't even know what it is. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, Seamus Dickens, yeah. 
Like, what was well, you know, that? Yeah, Pecksniffian. And yeah. they don't even know what it is, you know. And you can smile and da-da-da, and they think that you're wonderful, and you move on, and you just gave them a group a huge slam. Yeah. Um, I like what Greg's saying so, about going into an, and adjusting to the to the the, the group because that's not mm-hmm. false to yourself. That's a way of communicating. I think philosophy says that you can't transmit knowledge without knowing the mind of your hearer. You have knowledge in your head, but it does no good if you don't know what's in the mind of the other person. That's what I said you know, earlier. You, When you're talking, it's not just making sure your message is correct, but making sure that your hearer is of a mind to get it. And I never teach anything that I don't first interview the people to make sure I know where they're at. There's no point in sending a message to somebody that isn't, you know, you want to build on what they know. So what Greg's doing in a group is whatever the level is, adjusting so that when you talk, you're heard by the people because you know their mind as well as your own. That makes sense. Maybe it has more to do with so you're not, your message isn't automatically blocked. Yes. You know, you, yeah, you have to know the other person somewhat. We don't know our audience today. We got Greg, that's fine, but we don't know him, so so we're kind of flying well, blind here. It. Come on. Thank you so much, Greg. Yes. <laughs> and, and by the way, um, I'll just share a little twist on words. I, I love anagrams. I don't put a whole lot okay. of stock in them, but I do know that when we speak, if, if we just want to talk about um, – electrons and protons and, you know, all this crazy stuff. Um, when we say a word, it has a vibration. It it really doesn't. I'm not trying to get crazy spiritual or anything like that. But, you know, like if I say violence or if I say hate or if I say that, that invokes a certain feeling in people. It's just the way that we're built. So a simple anagram, words, is also spelled sword. Whoa. That's why it's so important. You know, the power of life and death is in the tongue. We've heard that many times. It simply means we, if we don't pay attention to what we say and we don't know that the words that we speak can actually cut, and I don't mean that in a bad way because cutting is not necessarily a negative thing, but it's so important. Um, and I, I guess to close, what I will share is this. There was a time when I was so caught up in my mind, I was so in my head, and I wasn't balancing with it with some heart, you know. It was like all of it was like all or nothing for me. I didn't know how to balance. It was either all intellect and no emotion, or it was all emotion and no intellect. And what I realized is this: is when I temper my words with emotion, people receive it so much more warmly. And Absolutely. It's like, man, I could feel, but I could understand. At the same time, it doesn't mean that I swayed them or I changed their mind. It just means that the message was more impactful. And to me, I think it's more important. You know, if I'm teaching a third grader, I'm going to talk differently than if I'm teaching a college student. This is common sense, people, right? Yeah. It just yes, makes sense. Exactly. Anyway, you, you, you let me talk long enough. I really appreciate this. Most people are like, are you kidding me? You know, who cares? How you Come on. Come we, on. we should start a support group, Greg. <laughs> uh, my name is Greg. Well, thank, thank you I so much. Just, just tell me one thing. What did, what did, what is your wife going to do in retirement? Um, you know, to be truthful, she doesn't quite know yet. She's been a banker for many, many years as uh, her mother was a banker. Her grandfather was a banker. I'm actually a banker, believe it or not. Um, so oh, really? Right, yeah, she's within probably... Let's see, March 13 is her magic day, and, and once that happens, she's just going to sort of go whatever unfolds, unfolds, which is a good thing. But it's funny because sometimes when she reads things on the Internet, she goes, I can't believe these people. They don't I know. drive me mad. <laughs> Ask her about those commas outside the quotation marks. They drive me nuts. <laughs> I still remember. I still remember. I'm 45. I graduated high school in 1987. I still remember, period, end quote. Period. And yes. <laughs> I still remember that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, these things are important, gosh darn it. <laughs> well, Greg, thank you so much for adding to our discussion, yes. and uh, good luck to your wife in retirement, and good luck to your banking. And by the way, I need new windows for my house, so you just send me some paperwork afterwards, okay? And we'll <laughs> and we'll talk very precisely. <laughs> oh, great thank you. Uh, thank, thank you, you Greg. Yes. <laughs> 
Well, that was that was a delightful contribution. Rosalie, um, yes. one of the things that I wanted to go to here, because my undergraduate degree is in journalism, and so ah. I spent a number of years writing for media, and mm-hmm. i got to tell you, I just, I'm, I'm beginning to feel like one of those old people that sits around cursing the new generation. But young people, well, in the first place, the whole idea of journalism has changed so dramatically. You know, I mean, it's the citizen journalism now um, where the whole idea that you have some sort of um, backing of an industry or professional ethics or whatever, that's out the window for the most part, and and media outlets are struggling. Um, And so we have instead segued to this media uh, or this, this citizen media where anybody with a cell phone creates the news. I mean, just think of the last time you had a storm or some sort of a, um, uh, you know, a, a tragic event. You know, think of all of the footage that you saw on TV. Think of all of the reporting that you heard. Most of it came from people who were on the scene with their cell phones recording and, and uh, commenting. Um, the problem with that is a lot of these people do not know how to communicate well. They don't know what audience they're communicating to. And consequently, the information that is disseminated it loses a great deal of worth. And I see that in print media as well, um, I, especially in the areas of domestic violence, Rosalie. Uh, if I see one more story where some woman and her family were massacred by some man, and it's reported as a domestic dispute. I, I you know, I mean, yeah. really? <laughs> you know, so how, you know, your latest book is on um, using uh, language and, and reporting it in the media. Tell us about that. Well, the media is incredibly important, and in what is the media, you see, it's, it's amorphous right now. We don't have investigative journal. It doesn't pay. It's, the money's gone for investigative yep. journalism. And so the people do so it's and it's a lot newspapers you've seen was you know better than anybody I have a son-in-law who's a journalist uh, with some very good papers for a long time and then you know suddenly there's really journalism they're not doing that anymore um yep. so there're big changes in the meantime so it's hard to 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 get a whole it's a hydra-headed thing right now what arm do you grab you know to to try and get attention and I, I I don't. I was just saying to somebody yesterday. I think the BBC is about all that's left. I may be wrong, for real news. If you you know want to get it, it's there's the the thing in Paris. I was just in Paris right before that happened, and so that was. And I'm very close to some people there in that area. And it means a lot to me. I couldn't tell which was more important. Well, I won't say, it, but a woman who got crashed her car because she was shaving something, and couldn't. Yeah, and anyway, that shaving something. What was she shaving? I don't want to say on the. <laughs> well, her the, lady the, bits. She was shaving yes. her lady bits in a car. She was shaving her lady bits. Yes, in her car, when and she oh crashed. My gosh. So what I'm telling you is, I had my choice. I'm sorry, I can't get past had, that. I know that that was pretty well. Neither could anybody else. That's the problem. And so you had these two stories competing for attention, at least on some of my news feeds. And it, it it shows you how utterly ridiculous. Here we've got this. Well, never mind. I don't need to say any more about it. I'm just saying this is what you get in the news and television news. I'm done with it. I I don't think um, that it's there. I don't know what we believe anymore. We don't get analysis. Just for example, the the Paris newspapers have no crossword puzzles, no comics, no dear Amy. What else? No ads. Nothing. They are straight, small, tiny print. I should think it would take about three hours to actually read the Paris newspaper daily, you know. But it's all analysis and it's deep stuff. And we are so far from even that could never sell here. That we could we can't do we're we're gone. We're done. That kind of journalism um is is not gonna come back. Yeah, we're all here icing and no cake. We just want the, yeah. the, the stuff on the yeah. cover that tastes good. She was lady, shaving her lady bits, haha. Ha. I mean, yeah, really. <laughs> you know, yep. forget the fact that you're sitting here telling me a story about, you know, media. I mean, I'm still looking at this woman trying to figure out how she was driving and shaving her, her lady bits. You know, I mean, well, and, and I know you're that, totally distracted, you know, right? I mean, from any real news. Yes. It's, 
It's the problem. <laughs> so I, I don't know what the Women's Media Center though was founded to try to get women into media. They 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 train because women's things aren't being told. There aren't. You've read the statistics: women in Hollywood, women in the media, women in CEO spots, and so on. We all know the statistics. They they all vary, but they're all bad. They're not. We're not at parity. Not by a long, long way. Right. So right. this. So the Women's Media Center was founded by Jane Fonda. Gloria Steinem and Robin Morgan to get women to, to train women to actually you know be media speakers to to convey the media but also to write it to just get a, a foot in the door but also so this book on spinning the spin is to help media people find words that are accurate so that they understand if if anybody cares that's what I don't know um, how much attention is paid to language. I will spend an hour finding the right word when I'm writing. Um, I don't think anybody has the time to today when you look at how fast. No, you can do that if you're writing a book, but if you're writing a yeah. news article or something, no, you, you have to do it yesterday. That. Yep. And you, yep. it's, it's got to be quick, 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 which is why, um, yeah, well, that's one reason I did the book because nobody has time to look into a word. You just want, you just want like a dictionary. Give me the, give me a good alternative for this. Or, or is yes. this indeed. A word that is going to bounce back at me, and the thing is, it's, it, I have to sometimes appeal to the money principle because if you're trying to sell somebody with your ads, with your TV shows, whatever you're selling, you better get the language right because you don't want to be having people saying, "Well, I guess you're not talking to me, are you?" And yes. there's yes. a lot of language that leaves out a lot of people um, disabilities. If you say, "Well, just run up the stairs and blah blah blah, whatever." Well, not everybody can do that. and Or if you say a couple, uh, here's a couple and he and she, well, not all couples are he and she. So when you're trying to sell anything, you do need to look at your language and make sure you're including all your possible buyers. And so it's a very venal way of appealing to people, but, you know, it's it's one way saying if you want to attract an audience. And today there was a book written by a French person, hasn't been a French guy, I think, hasn't been translated, but it was about the new economy of attention, and I was just fascinated by it because they're talking about what, what, you're, what anyone's buying today is your attention. How do we get your mm-hmm. attention? And unfortunately, hard news isn't one of those ways. Um, remember years ago the SNL scandal? Journalists, oh, yeah. of whom there were many at the time, tried to tell us about that, and people weren't interested. Nobody read it. Nobody cared. It was too difficult to understand how banks were working and how they were screwing us right and left and so on. They just, nobody cared. Nobody cared. And so everybody's all surprised when the, the banks failed. Like, Whoa, who knew? Why didn't anybody tell us? Well, we did. We tried. Okay, I'm just saying hard news um, isn't something that is uh, going to buy your attention. And that's kind of the reason I think journalism has failed. But this idea that it's an economy of attention, everything's about getting you to look at them for a couple seconds long enough to click something, to buy something, to do something. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I find that fascinating that, that now what's for sale is our attention. So Yeah, that anyway, is I'm an sorry. interesting concept. I just jotted that down, the economy of attention. Yeah, um, isn't that I like something? that. And, of course, yeah. Americans are noted, for, you know, culturally for a lot of things, you know, entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and, you know, creative thinking, and, but a, a length of attention span is not one of them. That's absolutely um, right. And let's, so and I'm wondering, today, you know, I mean, are we looking at uh, the American attention span? Are we looking at American um, um, issues here, or is, are these worldwide issues? Well, I think they're becoming worldwide, and that's why this was written in France by a French person in French. So obviously it had some appeal there or some verity for, for that country, for Europe anyway, mm-hmm. um, when they did that. One of the best books I've I've ever read was called The Shallows, What the Internet is Doing to Our Brain. I don't know if I have the mm. subtitle correct, but the title is correct, The Shallows. It was a brilliant book, and it so scared me that I have changed a lot of the way I uh, deal with myself and with my computer um, because, I, you know, I, I, yes, I, I love my computer. I, you can't separate me from it. I just get probably get the DTs from it, but anyway, but I want to use it in a way that isn't going to wreck my brain as much, and anyway, that book's quite, (laughs) quite good. Um, 
I just, I really like, but attention span is part of it. And one of the things is, I think it's common to many of us, is do you remember the old days when you'd sit down with a 400-page book and it was just nothing? And today, to try to keep yourself at a 400-page book is work. Or even to read something difficult, I make myself read things that hurt my brain. And the sad thing is, my brain actually hurts. It didn't used to in the old days when I used to read (laughs) difficult things. I couldn't feel any, yeah. you know, creaking and groaning up there. Now I have to push myself through difficult, and by difficult I mean really good stuff. But just, you know, you have to pay attention. Requires it's not your attention and requires your your thoughts. Yes, I have to twist and turn. I can't just be passive in the face of it. You can actually read books passively. I think some of my mysteries. I'm yes. sure I just breeze through them without ever, you know, lifting an eye. But anyway, I'm no. just saying. So well, that's something the ice I cream practice. Sundays of, of uh, those are the ice cream sundays of of reading you know you just yeah. Yeah. you know sometimes you just want to chow down something that tastes good yeah. um and I, but that's all right. things that actually promote thinking um you know that's that's a whole different different ball game and i'm with you you know i mean i got to tell you if i find myself looking at one more puppy youtube video and stop and think about what the heck am i doing with my time here yeah. and yes this was funny but <laughs> You know, I mean, meanwhile, there's an entire world out there and there's, uh, you know, a world in here that needs to be nurtured and, and paid attention to. And, and I'm sitting here, really, I just wasted five minutes looking at, you know, puppy YouTubes. I mean, really? I know. <laughs> what is happening to me, Rosalie? I know. That's <laughs> it. That's what I was saying. I was just horrified when I realized to what extent I had slipped into some kind of uh, easy thinking stuff. And I, I, a lot of our issues in this country, I think, are, I, I personally am quite insane on the idea of critical thinking skills gone missing. Oh. I don't know that yeah. anyone's teaching them much, and I think they're the basis, and I don't hear a lot of talk about them. I don't care about core curriculum or anything else. I I don't care what the, the material is. I want people to be able to manipulate the material in in adequate ways that, that require critical things. When, people, when a politician stands and says some idiot thing, where is the analysis? Where is the elaboration? Where is the thinking about what that actually means? And and how did he get there? I'll say he because I'm thinking of some specific people here, but uh, I could say she as well, especially from hmm, – we won't talk about that. But anyway, so you know, <laughs> how did they get that? You know, nobody is looking to ha- see how people arrived at their conclusions. When they say this, you say, well – No, we just is, accept whatever they say. Yep. You know, I mean, I, I, I took a, an online um, uh, statistics course. Yes, all right, Whoa, I'm, I'm odd. Um, yeah. I took an online statistics course, and the mixture of the class group was, you know, all over. I mean, I'm an old lady, and, and so I was probably one of the oldest ones in the class. But if you've ever taken an online class, you post to, you know, instead of having an in-person discussion, you post comments, you know, about the material. And uh, usually you do something, a few sentences to identify yourself. So there was a young man in my class who identified himself as such, you know, 20, early 20s, you know, like maybe 22 or something. And um, he was extremely adamant. Uh, I forget who, you know, whoever the president was at that particular moment, everything. I mean, if the guy had a flat tire, it was that president's fault, right? And, um, And I found it rather amusing. You know, in the first place, life is not that simplistic, and the president really doesn't do that much that impacts your daily, day-to-day living, yeah. you know. Um, nevertheless, you know, he, he would post. And his assumptions about life were so but – what's the opposite of introspective? You know, they, they're just, they just didn't – Well, they're ungrounded. Sure any, just, they just did not yet. reflect any Thoughtless. true analysis, any true thinking. And um, he was talking about uh, infant mortality. And I said, well, you know, my, my comment was is that, yes, I, I realize that infant mentality in, in this country can be a huge issue, but I'm interested because I do know that in other countries, if you have a baby that's born at uh, 22 weeks and they try to keep it alive for a, a month and the baby dies, they consider it a miscarriage. They don't consider it infant mentality. And in our country, we do consider that a, a live oh. infant that died. 
So I said, you know, I think we have to be careful when we're making these assumptions about, you know, infant mortality in the United States. You know, are we talking apples and oranges or, you know, what? Good, yeah. Well, he was outraged by this comment, apparently thinking that I, I didn't think infant mortality was a huge issue in this country. And he fired back this missive and he said how huge his problem is. And he said, as a matter of fact, Heather, I am sure you would be shocked to know that the United States has the third highest mortality rate in the world. Oh, just mortality? Mm. Huh. Yeah. So I responded, gosh, I think that must be pretty good because I would have thought it was right around 100% for all of us. <laughs> and the instructor posted, ha, 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 ha. And this student responded very, uh, you know, uh, with a definite attitude. Well, I understand these concepts are difficult to grasp, Heather. I'd be happy to, I'm very busy right now, but I'd be happy oh, to pull some of those statistics no. for you later this weekend. Oh, so no. I oh, just didn't went, you yes, love I it? Would. Oh. I did. And, and so I just oh. responded, yes, I, I would very much like you to pull those statistics proving that the United States has the fourth highest mortality rate, in the, or third highest mortality rate in the world. And, you know, and I have chuckled about that for the last several years because this kid just didn't, he, he was not grasping what he was saying. He, you know, and, I, and I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if he just, I mean, it, clearly it wasn't just a, an error of editing because he pursued that. Totally you know, he kept yes. going on and on about, about that mortality rate. And I guess what I'm saying is, you know, what does that have to do with language? It, it tells me that he's not paying attention to his language, that, that the actual language he's using is not as important to him as his notions of what he wants to convey. And yet what he wanted to convey was completely lost to me, to probably everybody in the class, because we were all well, laughing uh, about his fourth, fourth eyes for Tommy you know? I mean, that, that guy votes. <laughs> you know, he votes. Yes. Or he doesn't. Yes, and, exactly. and I'm at a point of, of thinking, I don't know which is worse, those who don't vote or those who vote uninformedly. I'm not sure who's worse. So I'm mad at all of them. Yeah. But, Sorry. Well, see, and, I, and I'm at the point where, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, just don't vote anyway. Don't it's okay. Vote. Yeah, that's right. That, that would be, yeah. You know about language. You're going to mess thinking, it up. Yeah. One little well, side issue, but I was thinking about when years ago we did not know what smoking um, did to us, to the babies, if we were pregnant, to other people. The day, Well, yes. some people knew, let's just put it that way, some people, especially the ones making cigarettes, knew very well what uh, the dangers, but we didn't know that, and so people thought, well, I think it's the same with language. I think for a, a long time, uh, and still today, a lot of people don't understand or don't get the power of language, what difference it makes, and yet we've gone to war over things. We've changed, like the Department of uh, War was changed to the Department of Defense. Think about that. The difference in feelings, <laughs> or we talk about the fetus, or not. You know what that word means is very important, whether it's a baby or a fetus. There are people on. You know, I mean, the language is critical, but I, I don't think, except in a few instances, we get how important it is to use words. If to go in the, you know, if we want to go in a direction, if we want to be a good country, and and. With, Equality and justice for all, and all this stuff. We really do need to look at our the words we're using. And again, they won't change the world, but uh, the world can't change when we're still using the old words. Um, and I'm thinking of domestic violence. You know, it often starts with language. People in a relationship ought to take a lot of interest in the way they're talked to. Mm. When someone says, "Hey, you in the kitchen," you know, or uh, you know, just never mind. I, I don't have to go into all the demeaning things, but I've seen couples sure. that start out kind of joking with each other, and yet there's always a little sting in it. It and it's a oh, way that yeah, huge some people never would. Some people can't do that. Yeah, and that's yeah, a yeah. that's a big flag on the field for me that when people talk to each other with just this little and they kind of laugh. No, that's not funny to me. Putting people down in a way. Um, yeah. So I I think that's a first clue, and I would and I don't know I don't know if anybody's ever studied this. If you stop it there, can it 
head off more trouble, or or are people going to live out the anger that they have and who they are and their you well, know, the dynamics of domestic violence are, 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 are very complex, and suffice yeah. it to say that it's about control. So I doubt that if you have I doubt me too. an abuser, yeah, yeah that, that you're going to be able to um, change that if you but give I think the language you confront, If you confront the language, you can find out earlier than, than perhaps normal where you're headed and what's involved, yeah. and, it, and I think of, you know, calling someone on demeaning language or little put-downs or little snarky remarks, mm-hmm. yeah. the, the conversation that ensues should give you a lot of information about the other person, and it, it might be a wake-up call. I don't know, but I'm just saying language is is part, and again, like you said, no, we can't, by changing someone's language, uh, you know, they can call you a honey deer all the time and still be abusive. Um, yeah. It doesn't. You know, so it's not going to change it. On the other hand, language is a is a clue, and yeah, yeah I would look at that. But anyway, and also yeah. a person's willingness to accept demeaning language, that's a clue for people who are around them. Anyone who mm-hmm. doesn't object to that and kind of laughs nervously herself or himself about being put down, that's not a good clue because that's part of it. That's part of the whole big picture. Yeah, I think you're true. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, Rosalie, where's our time gone? I, I mean, I'm looking at the clock and I'm going. Oh my! We've got four minutes left, Rosalie. <laughs> oh, oh, four um, minutes left. Okay, quick, quick, in yes. two minutes or less. What's the most important thing for us to take away from our conversation today? In your view? Good question. You know, I just to raise our awareness just by a notch of our language. We use words so. Profligate, what's that word? Profligate, never mind, I'm never going to say that word. Anyway, we use words all the time, and I'm not sure we're thinking all the time about the meaning. I catch myself finding little bits of bias rising to the surface by watching my language. I think, huh, you really think that? Well, no, I really don't, but somewhere in me, something sent up a funny little um, word that I don't, really think is a good word to use right now. I'm just saying awareness. If someone if listen to your talk and someone else's talk for just a couple of days and see what happens listening to the way people talk about other people. There's lots of ways we could talk about lots of things, but I think it's all about people and I think it's about getting other people's reality. Okay, I'm not really skinny. So what's it like to be really skinny? Um what's what's that reality like? What's that involved? So so don't tell someone who's really skinny, well, I'm jealous. Or well, Never mind. I'm just saying try to put ourselves in other people's places and use language that honors our differences. I, oh, here's what I'd like to take away. We are, each of us, different. If I told my kids when they're growing up, look, you're weird. Get used to it. Accept it. Yeah. Weird is good. <laughs> Don't even try to fit in. You know, the trying to fit in yeah. is such a mistake. But anyway, but I think about it's about people, and if we could just, honor them and know that we're different and know that it's good. That's where we come a cropper. We know that we're different, but we don't think that's good. We think you gotta be more like me. Or well I pulled exactly, myself up. Exactly. You know, that's that's it exactly. in a nutshell. And yeah. so Rosalie, we are different I have had such good. a good time today. I, I just oh, me had too. such a marvelous time. It flew. And you know, I I I went on your website to get a quote to wrap up the show. Oh and I found such uh, again. Uh, oh, quick plug! Plug your website. Where can people get your book? Oh, um, yes. Well, they can get it on Amazon.com. Unspinning the spin. But hey, tell them to go to my okay. website about quotes for women. www.quotationsbywomen and quotationsbywomen.com. And you, the quote that I'm going to use for us today is from there, and it is from Edith Hamilton from 1930. A word is no light matter. Words have truth. Uh, have, have with truth been called fossil poetry, each that is a symbol of a creative thought. So if we don't use our words, uh, um, wow, that's a good one. Words are not uh, of, uh, they're not free willy nilly. They're important. They're nuggets. They're little things that convey our thoughts, that convey a position, that convey a ti- point in time. There are those fossil words, as Edith just told us, and I think that it does behoove us to pay attention. And as Greg, our caller, said, you know, you you wouldn't, you know, 
put on your your clothes that you just changed the oil in your car for to go to church or for a job interview. Yep. How is that any different from paying attention to how you speak when you're in a different setting? Um, it's to me, it's just a, a matter of um, presenting yourself so that other people are open to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I've had so much fun with this conversation. And thank you, Rosalie. I look forward to joining you. Join us next week for Three Women, Three Ways.